giving Alka-Seltzer. Are you solving the right problem? As a knowledge worker, are you using your biggest strength, your knowledge? So the next time you're with your team at a brainstorming or similar type of meeting, try this out as an icebreaker. Give them all five minutes to draw the most creative thing they possibly can. Tell them that it should be something truly surprising. Tell them that you're going to time them and say, go. And watch as the pencils and markers start flying. People will finish early and be sitting there drinking their coffee, waiting for you as you warn them of two minutes left, one minute left, 30 seconds. And there may be still one person who's just scribbling as you say time. When you're done and watching everybody share their interesting creations, the question for everyone is, how many of you started immediately? And how many of you actually waited and put serious thought or creativity into what you might create before you actually put pen to paper? Inevitably, 80 to 90% of the people will start executing immediately. The first idea that came to mind is what they started drawing, without even thinking. This is something that's very common for us at the macro level as well. Many times today, when teams start working on new products, new services, new content ideas, we will become so passionate about that first idea, that cool, interesting thing, we start working immediately on trying to solve it. We don't stop to ask, is this the right problem we should be solving? Today, studies have shown that up to 70% of our time is spent triaging problems. We spend six of our nine hours at work solving problems that may or may not be truly part of our strategic need. And then how much more do we actually spend in meetings talking about those problems? What if we could just take a step back? What if we could actually ask, think, pause, or ponder whether what we're actually doing is solving the right problem? Are we actually being paid to use our ability to know things, to understand things, or are we simply being paid to take action more quickly in activities that already have momentum? And that's the theme of our show today, solving the right problem or solving the one at hand, and knowing the difference is the important key. So now it's time to get our hour of thinking started, and as Einstein said, if I had an hour to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes solving it. Or maybe better for Joe and me, it's like the immortal words of the notorious B.I.G. I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. You ready to get your think on? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 145 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, August 22nd, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co host, my colleague, and the biggest thinker in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful. I love it when you say <laughs> this. 
is Robert <laughs> That's right. It's my little throw out to uh, uh, my little shout out to Ryan Seacrest, right? This is PNR. He's, yeah, he's done a good... I saw him on the Olympics over the week. Uh, it, what was interesting is his slot was so late at night that I don't think anybody saw him. He was like on the beach at 1 a.m. doing interviews and nobody was around. I'm like, why did they give nice. him that slot? Like what's nice? Yeah, what's going? Well, they on should there? give him the Ryan Lotke slot, right? They, oh, he can go. Geez. He can go. He can go prowl around the bathroom. Did, did, did you see the closing <laughs> uh, ceremony last night? I watched a bit of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. I came in halfway, and I didn't yeah. like. I saw the broccoli and the the tomatoes. <laughs> I heard about. I heard the about the fruit and the vegetables, but yeah. I didn't know like what was it because it looked like then this thing came from or they they built this thing up and it went toward the roof and i'm like maybe is it a blender are the vegetables going into a blender i was like really getting worried about them but i didn't know i saw the japanese get this i guess it's the uh the prime minister who came out as mario super mario which was pretty funny is that was a real thing that really yeah no that's a real thing yeah that really happened i was so fixated on why there was no cauliflower and i was really a little bit disappointed (laughs) i mean cauliflower little hummus we're good to yeah go. well it i is, just didn't you know. get it i i wasn't there for the beginning and, and the setup of why the vegetables so i think it's the olympics it's very little you actually question you just sort of have to go in with a suspension of disbelief <laughs> and sort of just roll with it what are you gonna do so you keep busy this week before we get <laughs> i am the keeping show. busy yep. i am designing yes i'm i'm working on my presentation for content marketing world i'm having lovely panel discussion prep uh, prep meetings i am working on my master class i am and just getting uh ready to i'm going to be taking a trip actually this week um and then next week i'm home doing final prep for content marketing world i am super excited that's so nice yeah it's very nice i cannot wait it's going to be so awesome it's going to be great to see everybody it's going to be i mean i'm getting all these email messages and twitter messages like hey we're going to see you next year in a couple of weeks it's going to be great it's just it's the excitement is building which is really really awesome i gotta tell you it has been a lot of work this year It's, it's always a lot of work but it's felt like a lot of work this year and i'm so anxious to just get the party started and to see everybody and to see it actually happen and we've been working hard getting the sponsors in and the attendees in and it's just i'm I'm gonna be so excited just to see everybody fly in nobody has any problems (laughs) it's all good so i'm i'm ready to do this and then absolutely but we have two pnrs to do before then i think two or three maybe maybe we'll do it maybe we'll do a third one because we're not going to be recording during Content Marketing World Week, so we've got to do that. Of course not. Of, co- yeah, of course. Of course not. Of course. We can't leave our uh, three listeners hanging here. Um, and They're going to be without, like, yeah, wait. PNR for the Where's week. my PNR? <laughs> I need more. All right. Do we have news this week? We do, actually. We do have some news. It, even though it is the dog days of August, as it were, we do have quite a bit of news. Um, and what we're going to start with is something that would normally maybe not be something we would cover extensively, but enough people sent this in through email and through the hashtag on Twitter that we felt like it was something we wanted to talk about. And it's certainly fun to talk about, which was John Oliver, who, of course, is the host of Last Week Tonight, um, and his take on journalism. You know, As you may or may not know, if you watch John Oliver's show, he has sort of a monologue sort of where he goes off on a particular thing and rants about it for a good 10 or 15 minutes and brings in clips and evidence and all sorts of stuff. And last week it was about journalism and he 
really just went all off on where specifically newspaper journalism is today and the sort of state of it and the state of content and it where it really came into how brands um, and marketers are beginning to enter into the journalistic uh, field, as it were. And he kind of went off on newspaper journalism. And so, well, and so, Joe, I first of all, I want to get your take on this because this is your world. And so what did you think about his 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 rant here? Well, I, it was funny. I mean, he's always funny. Um, so I enjoy I enjoy a good John Oliver um, anytime. But the the thing that interests me is that this is not he picked this topic. It's not a new topic. This is a very no, of course old, not. This well, this is this is something we've been talking about for years. It's a Twenty right? plus year old issue about the newspapers and their defiance against changing their business model. Right, exactly. And it basically, so John goes, you know, full bore into there's got to be a better way. And what I thought was interesting is his kudos at the beginning, where he talked about how important newspapers are as as a source of source sourcing by yeah. television, by online, by television so news. Like, but yeah, how much it is actually sourced to print print news. And so that's interesting. And he's like, hey, I want to keep this going, and there's a problem here, and what can we do with the business model? And as I was listening to that whole thing, I'm like, there hasn't been a lot of innovation in the publishing business model behind newspapers or behind any media company, that is. And I kept thinking, why do you have to make money off the content? Why does it have to be specifically off the content? Well, the answer is because it always has been. Right. Now, could it be, and I'm just, you know, it's just spitballing here. Sure. But yeah. could it be events? Couldn't a local newspaper <clears throat> be one of the uh, the best operators of local events to their constituency? Could. Could absolutely. There's money in events. We, You and I know this. <laughs> yeah. why, why couldn't right? that be the case? Or maybe you just want to go and say, well, we're just in the full, you know, the donation business. We've seen you know, the whole Kickstarter um, business model that seems to work really well. Um, right. Could you actually launch a series of products and services specific to uh, to the people that you reach? Uh, could you do affiliate programs? I mean, I'm just throwing stuff out. I don't know. But there's got to be something more than will somebody pay for my content or will somebody advertise around my content, which is basically how it's been for 100 years. Right. So I don't know. that. That's my whole th- – and I don't know if you want to – do you want to talk about the pairing, the – Sure. Yeah. Well, let me. I'll, I'll I'll give you a quick take on this, and then and then yes, I, I want you to. I want to get your comment from the from the, what we're pairing this with, folks. Is a is a uh, is the response actually that came um, from the NAA, which is the I guess the National Association of uh, News or something. Is I, I'm not quite sure what the NAA stands for, but it, basically it's those who oh newspaper you know, newspaper association of America. There you go. Thank you very yeah. much. And so the sort of head of that came out and had a response to it, which I'll let Joe speak to in just a second. But what I was going to comment on is that John goes quite off the, you know, off on his rant on this idea, mostly around how we're going to fund what we would think of as investigative journalism, yeah. right? The the majority of the piece here is really about how, you know, basically we're we're starting to defund things like investigative journalism or true reporting and start to fund things like clicking on, you know, clickbait and kittens and stuff like that. And in fact, they make a very, very funny joke about the whole thing when they when he goes through 
everyone starts to prioritize the the idea of kittens and and you know raccoons and cute pets over things like journal real journalism and to me i think you've got a great point there which is where is you know why are we not as as newspapers or as publishers more broadly looking at other ways besides monetizing the content as a means of creating a new business model that's fundamental to funding the actual journalism the the flip side of that and we've talked about this on this show which is why why we're so okay as a public being you know watching news organizations be owned by giant megalithic you know media companies like Fox and 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 Comcast and and other types of brands but yet we really like recoil in horror when it might be some other kind of brand you know so and and I've made this point before it's just what if Starbucks decided or Microsoft decided or, you know, Red Bull decided to launch a investigative news piece, right, to start investigating news. And they're not going to go investigate food business. They'll stay away from the food business. They'll stay away from the drink business. They'll stay away from anything that might have the similar kinds of conflict of interest that any other company that owns any other newspaper might have. But why is that so? I, I really can't understand why we have such an aversion to that, right? Because quite frankly, funding journalism, funding a newsroom, funding the news division of a, of a company is, is, you know, it's pocket change for many of these companies. They could totally do this as sort of a rounding error on their total ad media budget. And they, he, he mentions it, right? He talks about Jeff Bezos owning Amazon and now, of course, owning the Washington Post. And, and he's, it's sort of a throwaway line that he has there. But there's a really interesting thing going on there where he says, look, the Washington Post is doing some great journalism, but we're not freaking out that Jeff Bezos owns it. Where, When we can start looking at brands doing those kinds of things, I think we've got a really interesting way that we can start funding investigative journalism because, quite frankly... The one thing that he brings up that's truly is troubling is where he talks about this is he actually cuts to this. uh, I think it was a congressional hearing where someone said, you know, the day I see Huffington Post at a, you know, local uh, zoning board ordinance meeting, then that's the day that I think we've made some real progress here because that's where local reporters really make their hay and keep politicians honest. And that's the kind of thing, that hyper-local level, where I think you have a real point there where they need to get out of the business of trying to monetize their content because, quite frankly, it's commodity at this point. They need to figure out something differentiated to do that. I have a couple, And I think that tees up what you're talking about from this association well, it's such response. A, it's such a great point. I have a couple of uh, local journalist friends, and they basically, because of all the tweeting and they have to do their own photography now – they don't have the time to go sit in the town hall meetings. Right. And and by the way, they're told pretty much not to cover them. Cover well, it's funny because in the John Oliver thing, you know, they what was it? Sam Zell said, Go get me right. puppies. Exactly. If I can sell yeah. enough off of puppies, then I'll cover the Iraq war. Yeah, that's exactly so right. It, it's just interesting to see. Now, you and I have talked about this before, and you're right. There's a there's people that feel a little squirmish when it happens, but I absolutely believe that the future that what's going to save newspapers are going to be either the Jeff Bezoses of the world or large brands like an Apple, right. like a Cisco Systems, like here locally in Cleveland. I always thought, you know, when the when the Plain Dealer, our paper, was in trouble for a while, now it's it was purchased by Advance Publications. Um, I always thought that. 
hey, uh, we've got Parker Hannafin and Lincoln Electric and Eaton, some really large B2B companies that care about what happens to this region. Well, why wouldn't they go together as a consortium and put their resources behind that? To your point, it, it doesn't cost that much. It doesn't. If you, if you, if you look at uh, what Oracle throws off in profit every quarter, it could probably buy 50 local well, more than that, almost all the local magazine. Uh, local That's exactly right. Everyone exactly and have plenty right. to spare. To, so, <clears throat> so the business models are different. But what's what's hurting in the meantime is you're not having enough for research. You're not having enough journalists cover these local town halls. You're not. They're not keeping uh, local government accountable. There's a problem. I don't care who funds it. Actually, I just want it funded. I think it's a necessary thing that we need local news and we need journalists covering those that have a passion for it and. So who's going to do it? Frankly, just like everything else we're talking about, it's going to be brands. And right, that's exactly right. I mean, and he, you know, and he actually speaks to it in the piece where he talks about, you know, right after he mentions Jeff Bezos in the Washington Post, he goes into, I'm forgetting the guy's name, unless uh, I think it's down in Florida somewhere, the Orlando Sentinel that was owned by a billionaire for. Oh, like you're talking 10 about the minutes. Las Vegas paper that was owned by Sheldon the Las Adelson. Vegas paper, Sheldon Adelson. Yeah. Thank you very much. That's exactly what it was, and he talks about that, and it's like, and he says, but that's the, and and this is where I might disagree a little bit with John. I mean, I know he was doing it for comedy, but but. You know, the, you know, in essence, I would disagree with him, which is, yes, there will be bad behavior by anybody. Right. You know, Sheldon Adelson sort of forming the news or having influence on the news. Well, guess what? Roger Ailes had, you know, influence on Fox News and, you know, and so did Ted Turner on the news at, at, at CNN. And there were, you know, plenty of billionaires that have owned. Yeah you know, have owned and or worked at or been, you know, influential in the news have had influence on what the news covers. Bad behavior is, is, is there, you know, that's not, you know, those two things don't, aren't mutually exclusive or are mutually exclusive, right? We can start thinking about, well, we can watch bad behavior and then we can also have, you know, a brand do this at the same time. Those, you know, we can, we can have both basically, so it doesn't mean that we can't have it just because there's one bad example of of, of influence going on. So I I think just exactly to your point, this is the this is an opportunity that I think we're going to see get filled by someone hopefully that will you know that will ultimately fund local it, news and and and, and it would be some yeah kind of so it would be a nationwide brand that would need to benefit and want the want the their localities to be prosperous in some way. Now does that mean yeah. it's not, I'm gonna throw out Walmart, Target, I, I don't know, but those types of companies, Home Depot, those types of companies that have a presence in every one of these cities that want it to be prosperous and and, and want and, and want those that type of news to go out there. There's of course probably some blowback with that as well. But I I don't know. I mean who do you see? What other brand brands would you see taking that over? I could see a lot of yeah. different companies putting, you know, you know, really looking, you know, what I, what I will, what I think I'll say to this is that you're going to see those things begin to become niche focused, right? So the traditional definition of the investigative journalist pool that you might see in a newspaper is you'd have somebody covering, you know, international, you'd have somebody covering Washington, you'd have somebody covering if they were a local newspaper, the local, you know, government beat, et cetera, et cetera. And I think those things begin to become niche depending on the brand sponsoring it. As an example of that, if you had GE or Oracle or a consortium of which would fund some, you know, consortium of local newspapers to be able to cover, 
well, then, you know, maybe they don't, you know, they stay out of the conflict of interest areas that they, you know, that they would normally have. But that's no different than somebody like Comcast and NBC or when GE owned NBC when at the end of the news when, you know, you'd have, you know, one of the newscasters say, by the way, this story in full disclosure, GE is, you know, oh, yeah. owner of NBC. Absolutely. I mean, that's happened for years that, you know, and so there's nothing different now. It's just we need to have the disclosure and that bad behavior is there. So I would see those things becoming more niche um, and focused so that the, the areas of disclosure are really clear. But you know, that's I I think I I could see GE doing this. There's there's oh, no yeah. reason it's, that they could. And and then just quickly because I don't really want to stick on this the whole time. Yeah. But the you know the Newspaper Association of America president basically went on and against <laughs> yeah, right. John Oliver and said John Oliver he had no solutions. He was just talking about the problem. Well, you know, you and I talked about it. He's a comedian. He's not supposed to have the solutions. You're supposed to have the solutions. Right. There are two people in the room that, and one of them are supposed to have a solution and he's not the one. You know, (laughs) know? here's here's another one I just thought of, by the way, you take an R.R. Donnelly, take a huge printer that actually wants exactly. to keep, I mean, that's just, we talked about it the other day. What's what are this old marketing example from uh, Ben Franklin, um, poor Richard's almanac. It right. started because Ben Franklin wanted to help his printing business. I mean, that's a great one, actually. That's a great one because awesome? then the yeah, yeah, the big printing company funds newspapers. It's like great. We want to keep print alive. Well, then cover you know create the news so that it's fit to print. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. come on, man. That's come on, like, man. Uh, what is that? Chris Carter on ESPN. Yeah. He's always like, come on, yeah. man. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on, NA. All right. Let's do this. <laughs> Moving on to our next story. You know, some of our audience is just so bummed that football and sports are back. So, you know, just Yeah, yeah I know. We get the tweets yeah. from certain people that are like, oh, no, exactly. it's football season. <laughs> Moving along to our next story comes courtesy of we're another pairing um, where we actually are going to link uh, to two articles here. The first comes to us courtesy of Gartner, the research firm itself. Um, the Gartner hype cycle for digital marketing and advertising is out um, and has been released and then we'll actually link to the actual hype cycle itself because of course Gartner for whatever reason Byzantine reason it might have doesn't link to the actual hype cycle graph we found another site that actually has it so we'll link to it on that site which comes courtesy of marketing uh, io.com and so the blog post that Gartner opens us up with is saying by uh, height by definition should make us all a little wary but the Gartner hype cycle is designed to help sift sort and qualify hype and manage our attraction to all those bright shiny marketing Objects. The ultimate aim is to support decisions where you and your valuable attention and marketing resources should be directed. And so my, my quick take on this, and then I totally want to get yours, Joe, on this is, you know, I, I see <laughs> content marketing slowly moving down into the trough of disillusionment. I think we have it a little bit ahead of where they have it in terms of the timing and the, the depth of the disillusionment that we might be in. Um, but otherwise, I, I had a couple of surprises on there where, um, you know, namely, I didn't really see social media marketing on there at all. Um, and I thought the predictive analytics and some of those analytics measurements things were oddly placed. Did, was there anything that sort well, of stuck out to do you? Do they have social media marketing as a technology topic? It sounds like they don't. I, they don't. I I, I want to say, and I didn't have time pre-show to go look, but I want to say that they have before in the past, that social media marketing was an actual category that they had plotted in the past. And I don't know whether it just fell off or whether they've sort of taken it off or whether I may be wrong and they didn't have it at all. 
Well, what's interesting, like things, so even wearables, it's inter- that's that's going down in the trough of disillusionment. But they say the time to reach the plateau is five to ten years. I think that's a long. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take to get there, but I would imagine we would go to more of an acceptance inside ten years. But who am I to to judge? Uh, yeah, I mean, do you think that con- you? So when you said that content marketing is not exactly where you, do you think it's closer to the to the slope of enlightenment that we're getting to the plateau? Well, here's the thing: they have such a wide range there. It's like you know, I don't know if this is kind of like a roller coaster. Well, like actually, you know, what we should up. do, Robert. Why don't you just <laughs> explain? Because people are listening to this; they might not know the the Gartner hype cycle, and we're talking to it. Can you oh, just, absolutely! Can you just yeah. explain a, it real quick? It's a good. It's a good point. So basically, it is. So Gartner has forever taken the idea of technology and put what it's called the hype cycle around it. And it starts with what's called an innovation trigger. Something gets triggered and the popularity of it rises rapidly. Um, and you have heightened expectations of this new technology. And it reaches a peak very, very quickly, very sharply. It rises up and reaches this high, super high expectations about what this new technology or innovation will provide. And then it reaches what's called the peak of inflated expectations, at which point it comes tumbling down into what's called the trough of disillusionment. So it comes almost all the way back down to where the expectations were when it first started. But then as it starts to come out of this trough of disillusionment, and the reason it's called a trough is because it starts to rise again, the expectations, as it begins to enter what's called usually the slope of enlightenment, and then ultimately flatten out at what's called the plateau of productivity. In English, what that really means is New technology comes along, and we expect the world out of it. And it basically gets us to this inflated expectation, and we usually aren't very successful with it. And what happens is is that then it goes, the expectations fall, the hype falls, the expectations fall, and actually we start seeing the failures and things really start to, you know, the reality sets in. And then what happens is is that as reality sets in, the usefulness of the technology, it either falls completely off the map or it starts to become truly useful. We start to see real progress, real results, real efficiencies, all those kinds of things, and it enters into sort of regular everyday use. And so you can think of something like, you know, virtual reality right now, sort of reaching the peak of expectation, right, with Pokemon Go, and everybody's like, oh my God, this is going to change the world, and then it's going to go down, and basically everybody's going to realize it's not going to change the world as much as we thought it was, and then at some point it will become useful. So content marketing in that case has reached the peak of expectations and i believe they had it at the peak of expectations about a year and a half or two years ago and i would agree with that i mean even if we look at our big change year over year when we doubled content i think marketing, they've largely been right yeah. with content marketing yeah I think so. and so i think that and what i was making reference to is is that you know you and i have i was actually you did too it first and my, i stole your idea <laughs> let's just put it out there and i will i had it in the trough of disillusionment basically a year and a half ago um, and you put it in the prop of disillusionment last year, which I think was more accurate and basically right on the money. And they have it basically exactly where you had it last year and arguably this year as well. I And so coming all the way back around to your original question, yes, I do believe we are closer to the, the, the slope of enlightenment than they have it here. Now, their thing is light blue, two to five years. I think we're two closer to two years away. They think we're closer, to, it's by seemingly by where they're putting it, closer to five. Well, the thing that 
I'm trying to grapple with, and I've talked to a lot of really smart people about it, is if you look at this from a technology perspective, so if you're thinking content marketing software, content marketing software as a thing is sort of going away and it's becoming integrated with software that does lots of different things, integrated into everything, right? So it's hard to, even though we're seeing more and more of a, if you look at Scott Brinker's chart where it's like, oh yeah, yeah. This, the content marketing category is right. getting bigger. But really, when we look at, let's say, all the sponsors that we have and supporters for content marketing world, content touches almost every one of those categories. So it's hard to just say, oh, that's content marketing software because what's marketing automation? I mean, if you don't have content working well in that one, that's not going to work for you either. So, I, I mean, that's where I struggle with it. I don't know if you see it that way, but content marketing software as a category, I mean, it, content just is incredibly important in the process and the approach of content marketing in any, almost any one of these categories. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's too broad, right? I mean, there, you know, when you look at it, I mean, this is one of the, we've talked about this before. This is one of the reasons that we don't really speak to. You know, it's an easy category to look in right now because there are specific things that need to be fixed in content marketing, the process that technology can help fix. And we've talked about those ad nauseum, right? Things like content calendaring and editorial yeah. process workflow and, you know, distribution of content and, and all those things that we've talked about. But quite frankly, Anything that manages or touches content could be called content marketing technology. Photoshop is content marketing technology. Word, you know, WordPress is content marketing technology, right? You know, Microsoft Word is content marketing sure. technology. The pen is content marketing technology. And so <laughs> basically it's, it's, it is, right? I'm going to, you know, I mean, the printed word, right? I'm going to write something on a piece of you paper or make an image really with my do. pen. We should set up a booth at Content Marketing World and sell pens. Selling pens. And say the latest, content the latest content marketing interface. innovation, the pen. <laughs> that I like. I like that a lot. I may do that. that that's that's just really great. You get, that's you get black pens and orange $13,000 of blue pen. pens and... Thirteen thousand dollars. It's 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 the newest thing. All the hipster content marketers are using it, right? And there's and there's Snapchat. Well, you know what you could say. Snapchat. You could, you could say that ninety. Yeah, ninety nine percent of our target audience <laughs> uses our technology. <laughs> we. <laughs> that is so good. You can sign your life away. Oh my god. <laughs> Have you tried it lately? Have you tried have a pen? You, have you? We know you. You think you know the pen, but do you really know, you really know the pen? The look, the feel, the color, <laughs> the, the passion the of our lives. Okay. Um, All right. Moving on yeah. to our last story here, and um, so this one comes to us courtesy of Venture Beat, and we wanted to cover this because last week we covered the story on Blab, and and so I think when Blab spoke, uh, Google was quietly listening over in the corner, and. Lo and behold, they have quietly discontinued Google Plus Hangouts on air. Um, they're pushing all those users to YouTube Live, which I'm hearing sort of very anecdotal at this point, but basically anecdotal information that, yeah, it's not the same thing. It's not nearly as good or interesting. Um, but the article opens up by saying that Google today quietly announced that Google Plus Hangouts on air will no longer be available on September 12th. 
four weeks basically from now. Google users will instead be asked to use YouTube Live instead. Google first debuted the live streaming feature for its Hangouts group video chat on Google Plus back in September 2011, though it was only available to select performers and celebrities at that time. Google started making Hangouts on-air available to all its users in May 2012 and completed the rollout a month later. Uh, They have debuted YouTube Live in May 2013 and also gradually made that available to more and more users so anything on this that uh, that came to surprise you or that you wanted to comment no on? i i actually i don't know how often you were asked to do interviews uh with google plus Hangouts all the time and i can't stand it. it was it's as much as we complain about skype and you and i have had our skype issues since we use skype for every that's right one of our podcasts so much better it's so a much thousand better. times better than google i like i can't remember one google plus hangout that actually went without a hitch that's right it was the all, there only were always thing, problems with it the only thing i will say about google plus hangouts <clears> and doing those live things is the lower third thing which i wish skype had which is just a really cool thing to have on a on a you know where you can put your name oh, and your title right. and yes. it's a sort of lower third thing which is really cool uh, other than that Everything about Google Hangout live video, I couldn't stand. It was just, you know, I have one later this afternoon, and I'm not looking forward to it. I just, I'm just like, I, I don't like the you have a face. You have a, a real have. Google Hangout? Yeah, I do. Oh, well, it's Absolutely. a good thing that you, you're having it today and not September 13th. Yeah, well, not before September 12th, right? Because <laughs> it's going to go away. It'd be, know? hey, uh, we got an interview right now, but my Hangout's not working. Yeah, Sorry. Exactly. It was discontinued <laughs> yesterday. Uh, That's exactly right. You know what? Right. It, it's just become a regular part of this episode where we talk about some social media thing getting crushed and killed. I, I would just expect more of this to happen. I, well, here's the thing. I, because the other article that we're not covering, we actually covered it last week, but it sort of became a little more mainstream it just in the last few days is this whole LinkedIn video influencer thing that is now starting to get rolled out beyond influencers. It was something we predicted. Boy, that was fast. And... And and yeah, now they're starting to roll it out very slowly to other people is what the, the article I read uh, was talking about. And so as this starts to happen and as it starts to become a thing, just remember this story, right? Remember Blab, remember Google Hangouts and just remind yourself that this is something that can go away just as quickly as it becomes popular. Hey, I, I mean, I say it every time I do a session where I do my subscriber hierarchy and I talk about the importance of email subscribers that we actually have some control. And I'm like, you should get up in the morning and if you can use social media sites that are going to help you do your job better and, and get your marketing goals and all that, so by all means, use them. But don't be surprised by, by when you wake up the next day that they're gone or changed right. entirely. So if you keep that mentality, you're like, okay, we're going to use it for today. We're not necessarily going to build a long-term asset out of this. We're not necessarily going to put a lot of resources toward it. But we're going to use it in this way to try to drive long-term value, customer value in another way. Um, yeah. Because look at uh, – I mean how many uh, – from MySpace on, it's going to continue to happen. Use it for how you can use it now, but don't don't get – don't be upset when they – when when LinkedIn does something with their video and you're loving it and you're getting all this stuff going on and all your Facebook engagement and then the next day it's gone. Don't hate the player. Hate, hate the, game. the game. That's right. <laughs> hate the game. Speaking of the game, 
We have we. I mean, our favorite sponsor in the world. Well, we just have to talk sort about of it has because to it's be. coming up here. Sort too. of has we got to talk. Yeah. About so it, right? so this is our last week where we're going to be basically pushing content marketing world. So we've reserved this sponsorship. Basically, slot. if you didn't do it by next week, you're so. Well, I'm still going to talk about it next week, but I figure <laughs> you're not going to sign up. You, we still right. Actually, actually, the last. If we haven't convinced you by next week. Then you're not going to get you convinced. Know, I'm a little sidebar here. I I know the weekly numbers better than almost anybody because I have them memorized. I know how yes. many people sign up in every week, all the way back from 20 weeks ago. What's so weird is for as much promotion as we do, and we talk about hotels getting uh, taken up and all the stuff. Most people sign up in the last two weeks. Isn't that crazy? It's I've I've you've told me this statistic before, and it. it it blows my People, mind. People actually, this year is, a, is it because we were, you know, we were a little bit behind where I thought we wanted to be about sixteen weeks ago, and I'm like, what's going yeah. on? Well, they're all over the past four weeks, they've just all come, which is great. We're really happy, but everybody's signing up now. So, anyways, yeah. if that's you, and you haven't signed <laughs> up yet, this is I'm I'm specifically speaking to you right now. I'm holding your hand. And I'm going to talk you through this. It's a dark corner. Well, it's not a dark of the corner. Internet. It's not a, not a, this is not an evil thing. This is a nice thing. This is talking about... No, it's a, it's a sexy <laughs> it's, thing. It, it's... Oh, my gosh. Anyways, <laughs> content marketing world. We're, last year, we had 3,500 marketers. We're going to have more this year. Over 50 countries. Uh, we want you there. We really feel that if content marketing had a holiday, it would be it. Content marketing world, uh, 2016, Cleveland, Ohio, September 6th to 9th. I love the speakers this year i love our closing keynote mark hamill i love cheap trick of course it's going to be awesome uh lego bank of america visa ge google microsoft intel and about 50 other brand side speakers are going to be there including me including robert rose (laughs) and i want all of our pnr listeners to be there uh, of course, you know the discount code is PNR200. You will save $200 off the final price. But I think I checked today, Robert, and we're like 95% full downtown for hotels. I so like real, realistically, this week, we'll sell out of all downtown hotels. So I want you to sign up, get your downtown hotel. And buy, I don't want you staying at the airport. I don't want you staying at Beachwood. If you're not from Cleveland, you don't even know where Beachwood is. It's really nice. If <laughs> Trust you me, go, you don't want to stay. If you want to go to a nice mall, it's great, but it's tough getting to Content Marketing World from there. So make That's sure right. you sign up. I definitely want to see you there. Last big push. And shoot me a shoot me a note on Twitter. Let me know you signed up so I can send you a big thanks. So Awesome. There you go. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with that, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is time for our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that, oh, you know, makes us feel like we're having some sort of problem or we're thinking about the right problem, one of the two. And so let's see. Ah, you go first because I you actually, marketing. my yes, God, it's a, it's I a, have there it. must be something in the water because Joe has this Well, I think that when you, it's something about like you can only do six this old marketing is in a row before I have to do one. This was my one. <laughs> I'm going to take it proudly and run with it. I see. All right. So I have, uh, I have a rave today. And uh, if you are a regular listener to the show, you know that we rant about Facebook much more than we rave about Facebook. But 
they are doing some amazing things on the artificial intelligence and machine learning front. And as you know, Robert, you and I have had many conversations about this in the last few weeks. You and I have been doing work planning for Intelligent Content Conference in March in Vegas. And perhaps the biggest theme is machine learning as it pertains to, to our content. So during my research, I came across this article in the September 2016 issue of Fast Company called Facebook's Beautiful Mind. And I'm not going to go through all the details here. It's a short article. It's worth the read, and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes. But the work they're doing here is, is frankly astounding. So, for example, they have a thing called Deep Text. Uh, it's a an AI engine that can understand with near human accuracy, the engineers say, the content of thousands of posts per second. Uh, big brother issues aside, Mr. Zuckerberg believes that they can predict and serve offers immediately based on someone's conversations on Facebook or Messenger. I believe that they're really close to doing that in a way that's going to be valuable. It's scary to me personally, but it's definitely somewhere we're heading. And, hmm. and I think as marketers, we have to pay attention to this. Uh, we've already talked about the news feed issues. You and I, Robert, mentioned it on this show, uh, where they're serving up the most related news feeds based on your behavior on Facebook. They have moments. It's called moments where they can automatically scan your friends' faces and pictures and auto-tag them. Of course, you and I have seen that work. It's pretty amazing. There are about five other technologies in the article, uh, but it's the one. It's actually the ones that they aren't announcing that has me most interested. Uh, Facebook has more than 150 people solely devoted to AI efforts right now, and they say in this article that they've already tripled their investment and they're willing to invest a whole lot more into this. And I think they're trying to play a little bit of catch up with Google uh, as well. So in five years, I think we're going to be talking about this all over marketing uh, and Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft will be will be the players. I'm not sure about Apple, but I know those those four uh, for sure are going to be involved in it. Uh, probably Tesla in there somewhere as well. That's fascinating. So, yeah. So anyway, it's worth the read for any marketer just to see where we're heading into the future. And I'll, I'll make sure I put, so it's called Facebook's beautiful mind. It's on uh, fast company, September issue. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally down for that. I got to read that. I'll, that's my, that'll be some good plain reading. For oh, me. it's really quick. That's it's a two page stuff. article. It sort of does the okay. highlights, but now it just, it just sort of gets you in the mood for, for like thinking about the next five years, the next 10 years, yeah. like really about our marketing and how much machine learning is going to play in it, especially because you have companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, literally throwing billions of dollars at it. So. Well, not to throw a different event here, but that's, you know, as you and I have discussed, this is going to be a huge theme at our intelligent content conference uh, coming up in the spring of 2017. Well, you, you and I decided we're like, of course, we want to have machine learning and AI part of intelligent content, <clears throat> yeah. but we decided to do a separate pre-event. So we have a pre-conference yeah. just on AI as the future of content, and I'm super excited about that because you and I were talking about the agenda the other day. So Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Love it. All right. Well, I also have a rave, um, and this one, the article that we'll link to comes from Harvard Business Review. Um, it, and, but just so you know, it's in the print, uh, the, the article is from the print, uh, magazine. Oh, it's so. from the real. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, so that should tell you a little bit the about land it. of the um, real. The article itself is by, and you know, as any regular listener to this show knows that I am a huge fanboy of Clayton Christensen, um, and Taddy Hall. Um, and so this article is written by Clayton and Taddy and Karen Dillon and David Duncan. And the article title is Know Your Customers, Jobs to Be Done. And if you have not explored 
Clayton Christensen's Jobs to be Done framework, that itself is worth an exploration. But the article is sort of a reintroduction of this idea of the Jobs to be Done framework, as well as um, the idea of knowing your customer. And and what it did was it sort of I ended up writing about it for, ironically enough, as we were just talking about the intelligent content newsletter that I write every week, but um, I wrote it for about it this week. But this idea that this article really speaks to is it's, you know, even as it opens up, it says, you know, we can remember innovation has been a top priority for us forever. We've been thinking about innovation. We've been trying to do innovative things. And certainly entirely what we talk about content marketing is all about innovation. And we're trying to do that. And the thing is, trying to know our customer is, of course, as we well know, the heart of content marketing. And the article starts by asking, why doesn't it make sense that we don't know more about our customers, given how much data we can actually derive from their interactions with us and stuff like this? And and the article itself is just fantastic. So I could not recommend it more. And that's really my rave. And But what I wanted to sort of draw a parallel to is this idea that I'm coming up with more and more, which is this, you know, when we start talking about persona development, there really is a challenge here. And I think this idea of jobs to be done and this article sort of tees up the difference. I've had lots of people come to me recently and show me their personas for content marketing and say, it's just not working. Um, I don't, and I don't understand why it's not, you know, why we're not getting to good, smart content, even though we did the persona work. And the interesting thing to me is, is that there's, there's a flaw in the actual persona development itself. And this is something that I talk about in workshops and stuff like that, but it's, it's really come to point. And this, this jobs to be done is such a wonderful framework for pointing it out. And the idea is, is that most of the personas that get done today, they start with the persona after they've recognized the pain point of whatever product or service is being pushed on them. In other words, it's there's the pain point and we look at the persona through that lens as a buyer, not an audience. That's fine. That's great. That's entirely what product marketing and marketing has been about forever. But when we look at that through the lens of content marketing, it's a limiting set of lenses. So for example, let's say I got Joe and Joe's content marketing Joe. And so the persona might be Joe, the CEO founder guy. His pain point is that he's really stretched for time because he's busy shopping for orange clothes and he's doing all these things and with speaking and he needs a dashboard so that he can see his business, you know, as the attendees arrive to content marketing world, he needs an analytics dashboard. Yay. And it needs to be customizable because he loves orange. And so that would be our persona. And we'd have all kinds of pain points across his journey of looking for the dashboard solution, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, the whole persona document is what happens after Joe decides that he needs to buy something like a dashboard and how to sell what we have to Joe. So from a content marketing perspective, it's limited because it automatically defaults me to how I can talk about anything of our unique attributes in order, in order for us to meet Joe's name or need. So in other words, we should think about the jobs to be done idea. Think about another layer who is Joe when he's not thinking about things that we can sell him? Who, what does he care about that's not directly related to our product or service? What amazing experience can we be able to deliver to Joe that aligns with our brand approach? What is he looking to get done? What job is he looking to get done so that we can actually deliver that value to him? A quick, another quick example. So there's, think of a marketing automation company. And I know this is top of mind for me because I've just been working with one. Marketing automation company. They're doing a persona on a VP of marketing. 
and maybe they call it Robert. And so their version of Robert's big problem might be, Robert needs to achieve more leads into his enterprise sales at a decreased cost per lead. Okay, that's great, but that's actually my 119th most prioritized problem right now. The big problem that I have, the job that I need to get done that's top of mind for me is, quite frankly, I can't find talent for my digital marketing team. So I'm not even ready to talk about marketing automation or solving leads until I solve my talent problem. But you could deliver me great content to help me solve that problem. And so that's what we haven't done when we've identified personas is figure out the persona's job to be done. The what's their big thing that they need to get done right now. The buying journey is great for the buying journey and figuring that out what their pain point is. But if we can start to actually help our personas figure out what the biggest job that they need to get done as an audience member, as a person, then we start to make real progress toward delivering content that truly matters. And I think if you go understand the jobs to be done framework and read this article and all the things that it links to marketing malpractice and all sorts of stuff, it's just a great start at understanding that. Everyone should take that last five minutes and send it to their teams because that's how important that is. Cause <laughs> it's, I'm, t I'm not even, I'm not even kidding you because I run into that so much where yeah. they're like, well, we can talk about this and this because this is our product. Right. Like, no, you could <laughs> let's go a little right. bit deeper than that. It's not just about, I mean, I think we've seen the days where let's just answer all the questions from our customers regarding our products and services. I think that that's been say that ship has sailed. I think right. that's been done. We need to have a different kind of dialogue and conversation with our, I love that. I absolutely oh. am a big fan of what you just said. You oh, should thanks. write well, a book right. on that. I might. Yeah, I might. I'm, oh, here's the here's the here's the here's the big news oh. that I didn't even tell you. This oh. is I'm actually breaking news to you. you the audiobook is done and submitted. No to way. Oh, yes. I'm so proud of you. That's yes. Wonderful it's supposed news. to be if I assuming I pass all their little audio tests, um, I'm going to have an audible book prior to content marketing world. Oh, so. well, so you got to do a whole new launch. Um, yeah. I was actually talking to somebody last week about it because his his book is a couple of years old, and he's like, "I don't think it's worth it to do the audio book." I'm like, "Yes, it is. Absolutely, oh, yeah. you can absolutely do that. If you want to update it or not, it's fine. But that's what when you work with a traditional publisher, they don't really even care. Well, any publisher, they don't care about the audio version. They're just yeah. like, I oh, just we, we want to sell print copies. But audio, honestly, is if you actually want to make money off of a book, it's all in audio right now." all of it well i'm excited Sweet. i'm excited about it i can't wait and you did it all yourself you did it you did. I, well, carla read it too we both oh, read chapters nice. so yeah we both we we switched off chapters and then she read the case studies so the major i read the majority of the chapters and then she read the case studies and then a few of the other chapters i can't wait to listen welcome to experiences this <laughs> is robert wow. rose no we're gonna say this <laughs> is experiences <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. I have, believe it or not, folks, I have this old marketing this week, and I'm going yeah. to be proud to talk about, uh, I had a little um, interesting meeting last week, Robert. Last week, uh -oh. I was asked to attend an interview session about what the city of Cleveland needs to do to attract more outside visitors. Why they asked me to that meeting, I have no idea, but they did ask <laughs> Well, me to considering attend. you attract, you know, 5,000 of them every uh, year, yeah, they something might something like that. But I, you yeah. know, as as the largest recurring event in Cleveland, Ohio, I guess uh, we represented. Uh, so so basically Destination Cleveland, Cleveland's uh, Convention and Visitors Bureau hired Ernst yeah. and Young 
to coordinate the interviews and then later present their findings. So we did the meeting, and I'm sure they'll have some very interesting findings. Of course, I gave them my uh, unencumbered feedback. But at the end of the presentation, (laughs) they handed out a report to each of the attendees called Global Hospitality Insights 10 Thoughts for 2016. So I'm like, oh, yeah, a piece of content. I'm going to take this. So I took it and I reviewed it later. And it, 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 to be honest, it looks and feels like what you'd expect from EY. Um, solid content, general white paper design, not salesy in any way. Uh, from what I can tell, they've been doing these little reports for at least three years in the hospitality sector that I could find online, but it, it might be more than that. So, but of course, like a good, PNR, this old marketing spokesperson. I did a little more digging, and EY has specific microsites and content efforts like this one built around 14 different sectors, from automotive to media to government. In each sector, the content leads with what EY thought leaders think are the key trends in that sector over the next 12 months, so very uh, uh, consistent along that front. Also in each one, there is contact information of the EY leader for that sector, also interesting are the CTAs. So if, if you're in the technology sector, their main call to action is a content brand called EY Tax Insights. That is a fully functional content site specific to tax issues for growing companies. They have an online version and they also have a print version that you can download and also subscribe to receive. The print magazine, by the way, is 52 pages and was launched in 2010, which I thought was great timing, by the way, because most magazines were shuttering in 2010, and they decided to launch one, which is super interesting. (laughs) Now, what I liked about all this was how marketing was aligning their content with sales with these specific sectors, these specific thought leaders, focusing on the thought leadership, and for the most part, the calls to action that made sense. Now, the downside, in my opinion was that the way the microsites looked and functioned, I can't see them getting a lot of awareness traction. Now, maybe that's not the goal. Maybe awareness is not the goal in getting new subscribers in. If this is an initiative to help people that know EY more move uh, from, let's say, interested to opportunities, then I think it works perfect. But in some ways, it seems they're trying to build subscribers starting with an awareness objective, and I would recommend getting out of the corp. This is tough. And I'm sure almost impossible to do it EY. But I would recommend getting out of the corporate branding thing and really positioning the content brands as third-party expert sites and not just EY everything. Because even if you go into the Tax Insights magazine, it just feels EY. It feels too much like a brand brochure. And I'd like them to open it up a little bit and really start to position themselves as experts to everyone and not just you know EY people that already know the EY brand. But it might not be the goal. So I could be I could be totally wrong. I could see this Sure. I, it feels like a content brand might be the right approach for this. At least for some of them yeah. to try. Yeah. Because I'm assuming yeah. they're looking at these initiatives and they're saying, "Well, why aren't we getting more people at the top of the funnel? Why aren't we getting more subscribers that we don't know?" Very hard to break into those vertical sites as they have them, which are connected to their own domain and to really get people to engage in those because it just feels like Oh, yeah, this is us. And this, it's actually some really good content. I think the way they present it is a way that's limited. So, anyways, I'll, put, right. the, I'll put the links that's in the right. show notes. I think it could be so much greater. I'd love somebody to get in there uh, with some thinking about how we can, inno- you know, do a little bit more innovation, a little bit more thought on, as you just put it, on the customer itself and what they need to accomplish and the problems they have. And I think it could be great. So, yeah. 
That's it. Sounds it sounds exactly like that. Yeah. But I mean, what, but but what a cool what what a cool example though for large consult. I mean, larger consulting firms are starting to really get into this. I mean, we've talked about it on this show before, but it's you know it's a great it's a wonderful example of of at least well, you know some of the starting steps. Well, the, the interesting thing is is that because we get this question asked a lot. Oh, I've, we have ten different sectors that we covered. Um, how do we launch all ten at the same time? Right. You don't. You don't. Right. You don't. Exactly. You launch one. You work the bugs one. out of one. That's right. And then as you get that one perfected, then you move on to two. So that's exactly so right. That's that's, that's where exactly that's right. where I would put my efforts. All right, you your heads down. Yes, you got nothing going on. Oh man, um, working on the keynote. We're working on the opening video. I'm working on. I'm doing, of course, a workshop this year. <laughs> I am actually working this year, man. Like this is like I know you do all the work normally. I actually have to do some work. I'm, I don't know who did this in the scheduling, but I'm doing I'm doing the content ink workshop for startups. And I small love businesses. it. I so love this work, folks. If you have not seen this or heard about this workshop, run to this workshop. So, it is it well. Is it's fantastic. good. It's good because if you're a small business and you don't have the yes, money to exactly. pay for the whole freight of content marketing world, you can at least come in and you can do. Because John Jantz, I don't know if you knew that John Jantz is speaking in it. This year as well, uh, we've got uh, Michelle Lizette, who works at the Federal Reserve of, of Cleveland, on finding the right content. And, and, of course, Michelle Lynn, our VP of content at CMI. She's oh, so you basically got everybody doing the workshop, doing your workshop. Now stop this. You. You, you. you must stop. <laughs> no, I am coordinating this grand Coordinating. Effort. Is that what the kids call it these days? I think they call that... Uh, that agile you, agile workshop is that what they call that you've discovered my evil plan for everyone else to really do the work but i take all the credit so nice. anyways yes yeah, so any how about your week this week you're just uh, my week is i i travel this week i'm going to see a wonderful new client of ours on the advisory space um for a couple of days and then i am back on friday um and uh friday night and then i'm home for the following week until i travel for content marketing world so it's a very very quick trip for me just to visit with a client and then continuing on getting the class workshop done. I do not have guests um, in my workshop, um, but uh, you have a and ton then of people my, yeah, my up session for that workshop. By the way, oh, I do. Oh, oh, that's I good. think we're going to sell. It out better be good then. All right, well, it better be good. So, there you go. All right, that is it, folks. This is Robert Rose, and for Joe Polizzi, we are signing off. And if you like this episode, number one hundred and forty-five. Do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com, or please leave us a review. Go leave us a review on the iTunes. That's how we get the love from the iTunes on the rankings. And let us know. If you leave us something nice there, we would love to thank you for that. Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing with any of that, as well as story ideas. We want those story ideas, the This Old Marketing examples, all of that stuff. We so appreciate all of your input through the Twitter, through all of that, and through email, too, at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which will be available on Monday night as we go to publish, and, of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
Today's show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.